<laughs> Welcome to Starman's podcast. Hey, everybody. So abrupt. <laughs> Are you awake? Are you awake? Welcome you... to Starman's podcast. Welcome. So, if you've made it this far, this is episode, well, technically part three, episode six, but part three of Chernobyl in the final, the final. Chernobyl series. Part. Literally. The, the trilogy. What's sad is I feel like I'm still skimming the surface. Yeah, you're definitely like, I could tell it's, you could deep dive into some of these. Some of this stuff you could just go on forever. Again, like hospital visits and patient encounters and what the victims went through and what the families of the surrounding areas. There's books like dedicated to the people who lived outside Chernobyl and blah, 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 blah. It goes on forever. So even if I get a little factor on, I'm pulling my shit from so many sources that I just took the best I could. And I always try and label discrepancies and tell people, hey... This is what I'm doing. This is what's going on. And this is where I pulled it from. But this is over-dramatized, et cetera, et cetera. So where did we leave off on the last episode? Oh, where we left off was I explained what the elephant foot was in the lava. Right. But the problem that we're running into is that they can't get close enough to the plant itself to work on it. Because there's radioactive debris all over the roof, all over the ground, surrounding everywhere. Yeah, because, like, everything that was in contact during the time is now just radiating radiation, right? Correct. Good lord. Not just the core itself, which is a little bit smothered, but literally all the stuff that blasted out from the core is now strewn everywhere. And a big part of it is the roof. That damn roof. The damn fucking roof. Why? Is it just because it's, like, closest to the radiation, or...? Closest to the radiation? Closest to the core? Yeah. I think so. I don't know why there's so much focus on the roof itself and not the areas surrounding. I'm sure they cleaned up the areas surrounding it and then pushed all that shit into the core. But I feel like they could just use bulldozers and shit. But the roof, because radiation goes up and out in a cloud. Right. And it goes into the air in a stream. That the roof, because it's kind of like a, not a funnel, but... Yeah, that's it kind goes of what up. I was saying. Like, that's where the concentration of yeah. shit is, and then it gets worse as you get closer to the core. But when it exploded, it went up, out, and everywhere, all over the roof. And yes, the ground too, but... Right. So, let's dive into it. Let's keep on chugging. Let's keep going. All right. So, obviously, that's our next problem that they need to task or tackle for this big-ass task that mm. they need to do. So, there was an estimated 700 tons of radioactive graphite that was dispersed on the roofs and the surrounding area. Putting the graphite back on its core, or, you know, the open exposed core, would essentially smother it. But, again, that graphite is preventing anyone from getting close to the core to do any, basically, cleanup after it. So if they cannot clear the roof, there's no hope to one day essentially cover it and dilute the, now, a couple days later, 12,000 rontgen going into the air every single hour. Not a couple days, weeks and weeks later. Because they did smother it initially with the clay and the boron. Right. Now we're down to 12,000. Okay, well. It's, right. It's better. Better. <laughs> so, there's three, they broke it down. This was a whole event. They broke it down into three levels. And there's three roofs that they need to deal with. The first one, oh, God. which they named Katya, has an exposure rate of 1,000 Ronkin per hour. And if you were to stay on that roof for two hours, you would die. Okay. Nina, which has a 2,000 Ronkin per hour, and that has a one-hour fatality rate. Jesus. And then lastly, Masha, 
Masha. Masha mm-hmm. has a 12,000 Ronkin per hour. Jesus. Two minutes exposure would kill you. Maybe not instantly, you wouldn't like drop dead on sight, but again, to enough radiation exposure would kill you in time. It, it, yeah, it's enough to kill you. Right. Yeah. So the solution to access, they wanted to bring, obviously they can't go up there, so they wanted to bring in moon rovers. Which is a real life fucking thing that happened. So cool. That's a good, a really good idea, actually. Right. Because <laughs> uh, you know Mars is full of radiation. Exactly. So they brought in a lunar rover. Fuck it's, yeah. Right. It's called the STR Dash One, and this was used to again remove radioactive debris from the roof. The problem was they were only functional for ten hours before the radiation slaughtered the electronics on it. Oh my god. Yep. So. Christ. They had to have another solution. They were pissed that the moon rovers didn't work. So they brought in what's called the Joker. <laughs> and they put it right on Masha to see if it would, you know, work. This, the Joker, which is really well depicted. They have real pictures of it comparison to the Chernobyl documentary. So this is pretty accurate. It had a mechanical arm to pick up debris and drop it over to the side. There were multiple problems with this. Within the first few minutes of driving it around, graphite got wedged into its tracks. And then a group of men had to risk their lives on Masha to go free its tracks. They had to go up on this 12,000 Ronkin exposure roof to free the tracks. It's crazy. Then, when they tried using it again, it just simply stopped functioning due to such high radiation levels. So obviously, electronics aren't going to work. The uranium decay is decimating everything. Oh, I was looking up um, how much uh, radiation is on the surface of Mars. Yeah. It's 240 to 300 microsieverts per year. Microsieverts? What's Which sieverts? is, is REM, Rankin? 25 Ronkin exposure. 25.7, if you want to be a little more accurate. 25.7 Ronkin exposure per year on Mars. On Mars. And this was getting like thousands of per hour, right? Twelve thousands. Jesus 12, Christ! So Masha. yeah, no wonder it fried it. Right. Okay. Wow. Per hour, twelve thousand Ronkin per hour on Masha. So. Mm-hmm. That's so nuts that the surface of Mars is not that not much. Not even. That well, twenty five Ronkin is still a lot. Yeah, per year exposure. Per year, that's still a couple X rays worth. So. Yeah. But livable, with a little bit of protection. So. Just drink. Uh, whatever iodine. <laughs> Drink iodine. Yes. Drink just pure iodine. Just drink it. Just drink it. Yeah. Listen to me. Do not drink it. Please do not drink <laughs> iodine. God. So, what's next is if the lunar rover and Joker wasn't going to work, obviously we can't trust any mechanical equipment. So, the next step is to bring in bio robots, aka humans. Oh. Man, you got me all excited. What's that? <laughs> I was like, bio-robots? What is that? How is that not exciting? That's awful! Humans! Well, I thought, you know, I thought you there was going to be like fleshy... Get the piss out of here. <laughs> God. Robots. <laughs> no. These, so, bio-robots. So, humans. Mm-hmm. People would volunteer. They would get a little bit of a pay. Volunteer? Yes. Stop. These are all volunteer-based. Idiots. These people were exposed on the roof for roughly 90 seconds to two minutes, which is the lifetime amount of radiation exposure. 
from birth till death. That is the maximum lifetime amount. The men who volunteered wore lead-based suits that were immediately disposed of after each use, which is a massive waste, but they all because the materials became highly radioactive. In oh. in the end, the men who volunteered were immediately shipped away from Chernobyl. But some men, based off the pay, and it wasn't that much. I can't remember what it was. I think it was like 800 rubles or something silly, which is not a lot of money. They volunteered to go twice, sometimes even three times, to run up on this roof with a shovel in hand in their gear, grab pieces of graphite, fling it over the edge into the core, and then do that for two minutes or 90 seconds roughly, and then run out and go back into the building. <laughs> it's like a horrible game. It is an awful game. 3,828 humans did this. And they're okay? I'm assuming so. Again, we don't know the lasting effects. Right, yeah. I mean, half of them could have died This of happened in 1986. Cancer. Yeah, so they're, oh, wow. Okay. So 35 years later, we are almost about. how many of them procreated. Mm, we talk a little bit about some stuff like Basically, we're going to talk about next, which is like the kind of the hardest parts, which is the surrounding area, the the uninhabitable zone. Right. But once the debris was finally cleared sufficiently, they had to determine the levels, how safe this area was around Chernobyl. And they would get, you know, like what we call the exclusion zone. What is the radiation levels in this area? Right. So as we know from before, Pripyat was literally evacuated and people left their animals. They only had about 45, 50-ish minutes. And again, they left their animals and their belongings. Surely most of them starved. Well, kind of. Oh. So I took some quotes from what people said as they were leaving. And they said that their cats would look into people's eyes. They'd hear dogs howling. Try to, they would try, their animals would try to get on the buses that shipped all the people out. The soldiers were pushing them out of the bus and only letting people in. Sometimes you'd see them kicking them. Jesus. They ran after the buses for ages as one survivor remembered. That's a quote-unquote. That's really, really morbid. It's really bad. Soldiers would be seen kicking and pushing dogs that would try to run for their owners. And then I have a link. I, we can post the link below but of the article that kind of goes more into this. Mm -hmm. But what's the worst part about this whole thing is that Soviet soldiers went into Pripyat in the surrounding areas. They were ordered to shoot anything that was living. Dogs, cats, little baby cats, little baby dogs, cows, deer, anything to prevent further spread of re radiation. Yeah, that logically does make sense. Right. In reference to an eyewitness account called Chernobyl Prayer, which is, again, the accounts of the victims. And again, Ignatov, um, Ignatenko, uh, Ludmilla, she was in that as well. And it was confirmed that dogs who survived because they would eat chickens they'd eat themselves they would eat other dogs they would find food and scraps um and they would reproduce and have babies but when they went in they killed the babies too the puppies and the cats the dogs so the soldiers went in they would they said the dogs they'd be found guarding their houses and they'd be found wandering the streets kind of like strays but they're not used to being strays the dogs would come to the soviet soldiers Thinking that they were the owners, they'd wag their tails, they'd run up to him, they would lean on them, 
and then they would be shot on spot. They would get dragged out and then the animals would get buried in mass graves covered in concrete mixture so they wouldn't spread any more radiation. Unfortunately, well, kind of fortunately, they were not able to kill every single dog or pet due to the exposure time that these soldiers were taking and also just time in general. Some dogs hid, some ran for the woods right, and came right. back. Yeah. So to this day, today, like 2022, there are still stray dogs running around. About a thousand total, roughly. Around Chernobyl? Mm-hmm. Around in Pripyat, so three kilometers away. What? There's veterinary medicine doctors, so DVMs, doctors of veterinary medicine, that studies them. I was going to say, what kind of immunity do they have to this stuff? Well, they have high radiation levels in their fur, the ones that are living there to this day. Yeah. But their life expectancy is not long. Due to the freezing temperatures, you know, the temperature fluctuation, there's not much... Well, there is housing, but again, they're they're wild. Yeah. There's not like heat sources. There's not a lot of food. Most are going to die in their younger years, and they have a predicted lifespan of only five to six years old. Hmm. But there is some hope. Clean Futures Fund is this nonprofit organization that visits Chernobyl to vaccinate them, neuter, spay, and protect them from rabies. Dr. Jennifer Betts has been doing this since 2018. She's been going over there to study these dogs. Oh, wow. They have food set up to feed them, and she studies them by putting special collars on them to detect high, you know, levels of radiation and track them. And what gives them any hope is that they're finding that the puppies born from these dogs are not radioactive. Oh, weird. The puppies, as long as they're got, you know, caught in time, right. they're shipped away and available for adoption. Oh my god, Chernobyl puppies. Chernobyl puppies, which is amazing. So, but it's just a really big reminder that, you know, human mistakes cost way more than human lives. Oh, yeah. I, in below on the episode, we'll link the donation site, because I actually went in and donated to this cause. Just say, damn. Absolutely went in, because I'm a big dog lover. Y'all don't know me, but a little bit. Well, but now they do. They do now. I'm a huge dog lover, and... I've got a big Bernice Mountain Dog that would die if I would not leave him behind. I would hide and not leave. So yeah. So we'll look, we will link that below. But it's called Clean Futures Fund, and they actually do more than just Chernobyl dogs. They do a ton of other things, but they have dogs of Chernobyl as a link, and then you can go in and donate. It's safe. It's a not for profit. It's tax deductible. So at the end of the year, if you report how much you did, it can come off your taxes, and mm -hmm. it's wonderful to help things like this if you're passionate about it hell yeah and i'll have a donation center set up at my office too i'm gonna create a little thing so you should ask them to sponsor the podcast <laughs> i should but For no money no money but in general i just it was something that like hit me hard and i was like oh my god i gotta do this so. yeah no doubt so initially so we're gonna go back into the the evacuation radius and initially there's only a 10 kilometer evacuation zone that was created about 36 hours after the incident. It took them forever again to believe that the core was exposed. This only evacuated about 49,000 people. One month later, a whole month, this was finally increased to 30 kilometers and 116,000 people were evacuated. By the end of the accident, and it's still going on to this day, but right. a long ways later, excuse me, I didn't get an initial timeline on it, but roughly 350,000 people have been displaced in a 4,300 square kilometer zone has been established. In the 30 kilometer zone itself, what about 1,000 people chose to go back and live there. I, I did hear about that. Return to their homes. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily in Pripyat, Pripyat, but 
they returned. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell? I mean... So, we have to talk about what the fuck happened to this reactor. Why did it break? Why did it melt down? What really went wrong? Yeah, who hit the big red button and did something horrible? Basically. So, I actually took this. This is a direct quote, and we'll link it below. I'm going to send Tony all the shit. It's from worldnuclear.org, and I actually trust their their shit. It was pretty good. I got some information from them. But this is going to be a full direct quote, so don't come at me. We'll link it below. And that's nuclear, not nuclear. What did like, I say? Uh, I no, was... no, you're good. I'm oh. saying I've heard so many people say nuclear because yeah. we used to have a former president that said that a lot. Nuclear, nuclear war. Yeah. Bush. Bush said it a lot. Bush he said a... nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. 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 All right. Long quote, but here we go. And I love the description that they did of this. So it's going to be a little double info but here we go on april 25th prior to a routine shutdown the reactor crew at chernobyl 4 began preparing for a test to determine how long turbines would spin and supply power to the main circulating pumps following a loss of main electrical power supply a failsafe this test had been carried out at chernobyl the previous year but the power from the turbine ran down too rapidly so a new voltage regulator designs were designs were to be tested a series of operator actions, including the disabling of the automatic shutdown mechanisms, preceded, preceded the attempted test early on the 26th of April. By the time that the operator moved to shut down the reactor, the reactor was in an extremely unstable condition. A pe- peculi- peculiarity, holy gods, of the design of the control rods caused a dramatic power surge as they were inserted to the reactor. The interaction of a very hot fuel with the cooling water led to a fuel fragmentation along with rapid steam production and an increase in pressure. The design characteristics of the reactor were such that substantial damage to even three or four fuel assemblies would and did result in the destruction of the reactor. The overpressure caused the 1,000 ton cover plate of the reactor to become partially detached, rupturing the fuel channels and jamming all the control rods which by that time were only halfway down. Intense steam generation then spread throughout the whole core, fed by water dumped into the core due to the rupture of the emergency cooling circuit, caused a steam explosion and releasing releasing fission products into the atmosphere. About two to three seconds later, a second explosion threw out fragments from the fuel channels and the hot graphite. There is some dispute among experts about the character of this second explosion, but is likely to have been caused by the production of hydrogen from zirconium steam reactions. Furthermore, the 1991 report by the State Committee on the Supervision of Safety and Industry and Nuclear Power on the root cause of the accident looked past the operator actions. It is said that while it was certainly true the operators placed the reactor in a dangerously unstable condition, in fact a condition which virtually guaranteed an accident, it was also true that in doing so, they had not, in fact, violated a number of a number of vital operating policies and principles, since no such policies and principles had been articulated. So, I'm dropping the quote for a second. So, because these policies didn't exist, they didn't violate them, even though they should have been in place, because, again, this right. test has not been basically perfected. Yeah. Back into the quote. Additionally, the operating organization had not been made aware either of the specific vital safety significance of maintaining a minimum operating reactivity margin or the general reactivity characteristics of the RBMK, which made low power operation extremely hazardous. It was predicted that 5% of the core was released into the environment. The core had 192 tons, T-O-N-N-E-S, or 
an American conversion, 210 tons, T-O-N-S, of fuel. Oh, okay, gotcha. You're welcome. I wanted to correct myself earlier because I said there was graphite on the, the rods, the, the tips. It's actually a lead-tipped control rod. And oh. I said there was graphite. Yes, there's graphite surrounding the core, but on the control rods, they're lead-tipped. Mm. I wanted to correct myself on that because I did. And that's in the, the last episode. So don't come at me for that. You probably the will. The previous episode. The previous episode. Okay. I was wondering about that when you said that because when the guy was like, it, in the first episode or first part, Anyway, um, mm-hmm. you were like, there's lead on the ground. And the guy was like, that doesn't mean the there's core graphite. or graphite, uh, graphite on the ground. <clears throat> and there was that guy that was in denial. I was like, maybe right. he thought that like something happened with the tips. But even if that was the case, the core still would be exposed. So, right. So um. there's not, they're not graphite tips. They're actually lead tips. So yeah. I screwed that up my, my brain. But so what the HBO documentary says, and that's not right, is that actually the Soviet scientists knew about this flaw in the reactors. And about 36 hours in, they were able they do they were able to determine the exact cause, even though it was stated in this in the docuseries that they had no idea how an RBMK reactor explodes. Oh, they started to understand that this flaw was a thing and they kind of they were able to kind of narrow it down what the true cause of. Again, the docuseries was dramatized and a lot of misleading, saying they don't know how an RBMK reactor could explode, except they did have a hunch. It's just never happened before. Right. They do have a mechanism, and it took them a little while to get there, but they did know. So what happened to the team? Um, the team. Dyatlov, <laughs> Brukhanov, and Fomin. So there's a very, very long, drawn-out trial. And I say very long, probably some weeks, um, for six people total. The first three that I just stated, and then three others, which were the block shift leader, the supervisor, and then the senior engineer on Reactor 4. So these three were also tried. I'm just surprised they didn't die of radiation poisoning at this point. I'm shocked. Um, There was a delay in the trial because Fomin tried to kill himself after a mental breakdown. I don't blame him. He broke his glasses and tried to slit his wrists. Once Fomin was able to return to the trial, they were all sentenced to 10 years into a labor camp. Everyone ended up being released early due to mental health and physical health reasons. Okay. What pisses me off, Fomin ended up working at another nuclear reactor facility. What? He's in a nuclear power plant in Russia working. Stop. Dyatlov passed away in 1995. Oh, that's pretty recent. Cancer. No way. Right, because again, he walked up. I'm surprised he lasted this long. He did survive his acute radiation treatment, so, and then he died. Burkinov lives in Kiev, and he was released after only five years. I'm assuming he pulled his position of power and got out of labor camps. Jesus. So in the end, let's go back to Dr. Legasov, because he was a really important part of this. He actually recorded his entire experience. Um, in the HBO docuseries, it says that he, like, hid them so people would find them later. No. He just fucking recorded them and left them. Yeah. He's like, yeah, his son found them. Exactly, though, <clears throat> two years after the Chernobyl nuclear event, he hung himself in his apartment and his son found him. He committed suicide. He was oh. dying from thyroid cancer and suffering from radiation sickness. No doubt. Um, this was actually a second attempt at suicide. Someone brought him back the first time. Oh. And he lived, so. Jesus. 
So as we wrap this kind of up, here's some facts that I found that didn't kind of fit into the telling the storytelling part, but that were interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that was portrayed a lot. I told you in the beginning, there was only two immediate deaths from the explosion, not related to radiation exposure. It was actually due to the blast itself or right. the blasts. Over the next few weeks, res- first responders di- died from acute radiation syndrome. About 80% survived. Oh. So again... 28 deaths, 134 were treated, six of them were firemen, and one of them was um, Ignatenko, Vasily Ignatenko. Right. There's obviously a lot of wonder about Chernobyl and the birth defects. Supposedly, there was not an effect on adverse pregnancy outcomes or complications during deliveries or stillbirths or the health among children who are in the contaminated areas. But... Evidence was extremely limited because the Soviet government prohibited doctors from reporting any of these illnesses related in diagnosis. Why would they do that? Because they're control freaks and they didn't oh want it to be God. amplified. So. Well, we don't want to. We don't want our mistakes to they, show. Right. They for generations literally re- did not allow them to report it. Wow. What's really sad, and probably a little bit of a trigger warning, would be doctors pushed many of the pregnant women at the time, who were exposed to abort their children to potential teratogenic effects. Jesus. This included over one million abortions in the Soviet Union. The entire Soviet Union. It's like the opposite problem of what we're having in America currently. Right. Jesus. From 1991 to 2015, 5,000 out of 20,000 cases of thyroid cancers were directly related to the Chernobyl event. 15 deaths were total. Luckily, thyroid cancer can be readily treated. You can actually fully remove your thyroid and still function. Right, right. To this day, what's happening to Chernobyl? It is obviously fully shut down. (laughs) Yeah. And this is official on March 9th, 2022. They disconnected the remaining reactors from the power grid this year. Really? This year. Took them that long, huh? took them that long russia took control of the plant and the current condition is unchanged there is a current concrete half dome covering reactor four it is not strong it is not durable i don't know so at the end of the docuseries the life expectancy of this dome was um excuse me about a hundred years i don't know if that's true we i feel like the scientists don't technically know because we don't know how the concrete's gonna disintegrate over time we can only predict right right. so it's basically a small bandage bandage for now roughly 200 tons so t-o-n-n-e-s of radioactive material remains exposed and that's pretty close to 200 tons in american t-o-n-s so okay the half dome it was placed in 2017 it is 110 meters in height 165 meters in length the construction for this project started in 2012, and it weighs about 36,000 tons, T-O-N-N-E-S. It's the largest movable land-based structure ever built. Units 1 through 3 will be dismantled and decommissioned, and they will be placed in a saf sore condition by 2028, and in 2046, more equipment will be removed. By 2064, they will be fully demolished. As of right now, I believe they've started the dismantling process, but because it's so intricate with the radioactive materials and more radioactive shit being on the ground, I think they have to take into effect that they can only get so close. People are now returning to live in Belarus, which I think 
is 10 or 12 hours away, but don't quote me on that. In 2011, Chernobyl is now declared a tourist attraction. It is, though, actually. It really is. You I, can go I, in. I know so many YouTubers that, like, walk Risk around. their lives and yeah. go in. It's crazy. Though, it said at the end of the HBO documentary that they haven't changed all the RBMK reactors. And when I first watched the series, I was like, holy fuck, they haven't fixed the fatal flaw, like the lead tips. They've all been now modified. Wow. They've changed out all the control rods by adding neutron absorbers and increasing fuel enrichment to make them more stable at a lower power. So they fixed it. Which Good. I was like, oh, great. So, you know, 30-something reactors are over there and they still haven't been changed and this can happen. <laughs> but no, they did change it, which That's is good. Thank fuck. Yeah, no doubt. To a large degree, the Chernobyl nuclear disaster was a result of rotting political system composed of mostly pliant men and women who ignored precautions and blew up a reactor because they were more concerned about adhering to a, a system based on lies and deceit than they were about protecting the people. The New York Times. That's accurate. And that's where we'll end. Damn. Oh, thank God. Ugh. Jeez. Jesus. Are there any conspiracy theories around Chernobyl? Conspiracy <laughs> oh, theories? Oh, I'm sure there are. Oh like my political God. conspiracy theories and stuff. The Soviet, we all know the Soviet Union is fucked. It's mm-hmm. all about privacy, keeping from the people, control. The KGB was in this too, again. Yeah. All of it. All of it was just not good. I have a radiation fact. Ooh, I'll take a radiation It's fact. not about Chernobyl, but it's relevant. Um, Is it Hawking radiation? No. Oh. No. Um, Maine was one of the, I think there was like four potential places where American American radioactive material could be safely put to waste. Oh, fuck. No. And Maine was one of them. Stop. Because Sebago Lake happens to be one of the largest single um, granite... Uh, the bed of Sebago Lake is just basically solid granite. And granite is an incredible absorber, absorber of um, anything, really. Yeah. So they were, it was one of four places, I think. I can't remember all of the places except for two. One was Sebago Lake in, in North Windham, Maine, which God. is where I grew up. I grew up on that lake. Someone's going to stalk you. Um, but they ended up choosing a mountain. No! Like, yeah. A mountain? They, like below a mountain. I some, like the mountains. It was some like um, forgotten, like long lost, um, like coal mining place under a mountain. They just put all of the radioactive material in there. They probably sealed it after. And they sealed it, yeah. Since we don't really, well, we do we do mine for coal still, but but the logistics of because um, they would have basically like ground uh, big slabs of granite out and then put the radioactive material in and put the granite back on top of it like a plug. But like the logistics of that under a lake, like that doesn't even make sense, but it doesn't seem safe. It was one of the potential places. So thank God they did not do that. (laughs) I feel like we know so much more about radiation and nuclear reactors after this event. So I chose this because not really, it's not really space spiracy. It's just kind of a sweet topic and something that really drove my interest. Yeah. Because this is something that happened. Most people can relate. This is happening in our life and it's still happening in our lives to this day. And there's other nuclear reactor meltdowns. There's other shit that's happened. But this was by far like one of the most eye opening, one of the bigger ones. Yeah, no doubt. 
I think there's another one, like, in Pennsylvania or something, or there's another nuclear incident. I, oh, yeah. I, I might not be Pennsylvania, but there's another documentary series, docu-series on this one, but it's definitely not as dramatized as HBO is. Yeah, everyone knows Chernobyl. Everybody yeah, or knows Or at least has Chernobyl. heard of it. Right. So, hopefully, this gave you guys some information. Hopefully, you learned a little bit. I learned a lot. I learned a shit ton doing this, and I realized that don't believe all the shit you see on tv so i literally the my the extent of my knowledge before this was like yeah chernobyl was like a nuclear power plant that went south and that's about as far as it went like i didn't know the impact i didn't know who was involved i didn't know why right so and i only picked certain people to talk about again you can talk and talk and talk about so many victims so many people have been affected by this some things were over over dramatized other things were way undertaken so pretty wild it's pretty fucking wild all right well thanks for listening um i think i might be doing the library of babel next the library of babel Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be taking a break for about a day yeah a research (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know shit about the library of babel you're gonna get learnt it's pretty fucking mind-blowing is it spooky it's really creepy. Oh, I fucking love spooky. Really creepy. I live for the spooky. Yeah. Yes. It's it's creepy. Paranormally creepy or no? Uh, no, it's creepy in like the whole like questioning your place and it has a lot to do with free will. Um, <gasps> I thought we were doing an episode on free will. Well, we? we can maybe segue into it because it has, it's not, a, it's not about free will. It just has a lot to play with like. Yeah. Like your free will and like, I think we're going to do an also sometime in the future, talk about an episode, make you do an episode on free will. I think that would be really cool. I think so too. And that we're not really. And I could really dig into quantum mechanics on that one too. (laughs) Goody. All right, guys. So good. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. If you have any questions, uh, podcast requests, or any uh, information that you would like to share with us, you can hit us up at our uh, Gmail account, which is Starman's Podcast at gmail.com. Hell yeah. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.